Please take your Bibles and turn together now to Paul's letter to Titus. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read this morning all of Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 15. But our focus this morning is going to be on the directions that Paul gives specifically to Titus about his continuing ministry on the island of Crete, and those are going to be scattered throughout uh, this chapter. Uh, Titus is what I'm going through at Tri-Lakes Reformed Church, and I'm planning to spend several weeks in Titus chapter 2, but um, again, this this morning our focus will be on the specific directions that Paul gives to Titus as a minister of the gospel, as a uh, missionary that is still there on the island of Crete, and the ministry he's to have to the church on Crete. There is an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to use that. But once again, let's give our attention to the word of God. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's where we'll end the reading of, our, of God's word. Let's pray together. Teachable and receptive to your word. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us now by your word. We pray that you would use it in our lives to make us more like Christ, 
to drive us to him, to strengthen our faith in him, and to glorify your name. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in chapter 1 of Titus, Paul wrote to Titus and gave him his primary task on the island of Crete. He was to set in order what remained, and he was to see to it that elders were appointed for the young new churches on the island of Crete. And he went on to give qualifications for those elders and some of the reasons why they were needed. And then towards the end of chapter 1, he included a description of some of the errors threatening the church on the island of Crete. But in our text today, Paul returns to Titus and his ministry on the island of Crete, emphasizing in contrast to the errors there, positively what Titus was to teach and to model for the church and for the young Christians on the island of Crete. So we want to consider specifically this morning this charge to Titus. What was this pastor, what was this missionary to do? What was he to be about? What were his priorities? What does the church need from its pastors and its elders today? What should we expect in faithful gospel ministry? And what I want to focus on perhaps more this morning is what does this teach us about our needs as believers and as a church, as followers of Jesus? If this is what the Christians on Crete needed, then this is what we need as well today. And what we want to see together in our passage is that we need teaching. We need to be taught. Uh, We also need examples. We need models of Christ-like living. And we see in our passage this morning that we need authority. We need faithful authority ministered to us on on behalf of Christ. Uh, We are not independent as Christians. We must not be. We are not self-sufficient. We are needy. And we need to learn and grow. We need teachers and authorities. You see, Paul didn't write to Titus and say, they've got the gospel, and once they have elders, they're good to go. No, he continues writing, and he says, they they need to be taught. You need to stay, and you need to give them instruction. They need to learn how to live for Christ. They need to be taught how to serve him. They need to learn the implications of the gospel for their lives. And they need to see what that looks like. And so we want to see together this morning that the church needs all of this today. You and I need this today as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ. This is what we need to expect. This is what we ought to desire and pray for and seek out as the church, as disciples of Jesus, students of Jesus. And that's really the call from God's word to each of you today, to seek out sound teaching, seek out godly examples, and seek out faithful authority. Don't seek these out on your own as individuals. Seek them out in the church. And as a disciple of Christ, submitted to Christ, seek out sound teaching, godly examples, and faithful authority. Well, let's dig into that more and unpack that some 
together as we look at Titus chapter 2. And the first thing to see here in Titus 2 is that we need sound teachers and sound teaching. Sound teaching. Look again with me at verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then jump down to verse 7. It says, In your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Paul charges Titus to be about the work of teaching. Sound teaching. Speaking, instructing, communicating. Uh, ministering the truth with integrity, dignity, and sound speech. God's people on the island of Crete needed the truth of the gospel. They needed sound speech, that is healthy speech and healthy doctrine, the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel. They also needed instruction in godly living, and so do you and I. And notice in verse 1, it's not only sound doctrine he is to teach. He is certainly to teach sound doctrine. But more specifically here in chapter 2, Paul writes, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is, teach the practical. Teach and instruct in sound living. That which accords with and flows from and harmonizes with sound doctrine doctrine. In verses 2 through 10, Paul elaborates on what this is, and it even spills into uh, chapter 3 as well. And we're not going to look at that together this morning, but what it is is practical godliness, Christ-likeness in real life for all different parts of the church. And And I read through that. You heard it. Men and women, old and young, Christians at all stages of life and various situations of life, they all need sound, practical discipleship. They need to be taught how to serve Christ in their various roles and stages of life. They need to learn how to live with godliness. What does this look like? How to live with zeal and faithfulness in the present age as they await Christ's return. In light of his salvation, how are they to live? And this is so relevant for all of us. And Paul gets very specific with specific groups. And one of the things that stands out here as we read this is that sound teaching actually affected the church's witness. It was not simply that they would be uh, faithful and godly themselves and look like Christ and that was it. Um, This had something to do with their witness and with the watching world. And I wonder if you caught that as you heard Um, chapter 2. For example, after the instructions in verse 5, it says they are to live uh, lives these ways, this way, so that the word of God may not be reviled. They were to live this godly way so that God's word was not reviled, literally so that God's word would not be blasphemed. You see, sin in the lives of believers, ungodliness, can cause the watching world to revile God's word. To respond, well, the Bible says this, but look at them. Look at how they're living. What, God, what good is God's word if this is what it does for people? How could it be true? Another example is in verse 10 when he's speaking to 
uh, slaves or, or bond servants, the instruction they are to have. Uh, their, be- their behavior, he writes, was to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That is, their actions, even in that difficult circumstance, that lowly position, their actions, the way they live for Christ, could make the truth of God more compelling and more attractive to those around them. So you see, teaching and sound living actually had and has an evangelistic purpose. It's part of our witness as the church. The more we become like Christ in daily life by His grace, His grace worked out in us, the more power there is to our witness, the more compelling the gospel we believe is as people see its fruit in our lives, as we live as changed people. Well, there's more that could be said here, but there are obvious implications for pastors and elders and leaders of the church. There are obvious um, implications for parents and older Christians who model and teach younger believers. The church, and especially her leadership, must teach sound doctrine and sound living. That which accords with sound doctrine. That which adorns the doctrine of God, our Savior. We believe and confess a good and holy God. Are we holy? Are we becoming holy like God? Do we love and do that which is good? Are we increasingly humble and faithful people? Are we pilgrims living for our heavenly home and not for the things of this world? Are we living for God's glory? Do we look at all like the God we worship? the God we belong to, the God we confess, the Christ who has saved us and who is conforming us into his image. But this is also a reminder for all of us as as Christians that we are, we must be students and learners, disciples of Christ. We need sound teaching. We need to be lifelong learners. We are to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. The gospel changes us and teaches us. It changes our lives. Are we learning? Are you learning and growing? Do you see yourself as a student, as a disciple, as on a journey becoming more and more like Christ? Notice here you can't check out. You don't graduate and quit learning. Every stage of life involves learning to live for Jesus, learning to live in light of the gospel. And that's why older men and women are included here. They're not off the hook. They, too, needed instruction in sound living. Are you humble? Are you teachable? Are you a student of Jesus? Do you crave sound teaching and sound teachers? We all must. Because we all need this. And so, brothers and sisters, pray for and seek out and learn from sound teaching in the church. Well, we see here we need sound teachers, but we also need sound living. We need to see sound living. We need to see what this looks like. And so, let's see together a second this morning the need for godly examples 
godly examples. Look again with me at verse 6 and 7. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Titus was to be a teacher, but he was not just a teacher or a preacher. He was not just to be a removed lecturer on the island of Crete. He wasn't just to communicate with words, but also with his actions. His life was to be a model, a type, a pattern, an example. Paul said the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The obvious implication here is that we need godly examples. We need the truth and doctrine and practice that Christ calls us to not just taught for us, but we need it lived out so that we can see it, we can understand what it looks like in real life. This, is, this shouldn't surprise us. This is really how we learn. We can understand something to some level when it's taught to us, but we can understand it far better and we can actually know it and be equipped to do it ourselves when we see it done, when we see it modeled for us, when we have a picture of what it actually looks like. Paul knew that this was vital for real learning and growing and development. And so you'll see this in other uh, epistles. He, he wrote in Philippians 3.17, he said, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitation of and learning from Christ-like examples is a biblical part of learning and discipleship. And what was Titus specifically to be an example or pattern or model of? What does it say in verse 7? Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Good works. Good theology is absolutely essential, but so are good works and models of good works, examples of good works. Good works are taught not just by instruction, but by models and examples. Any good uh, sports coach understands this. Uh, teachers know this. Uh, parents have to understand and apply this. You can't just tell your children what to do. You actually have to show them and be models for them. We learn truth and behavior best by having show having someone show us what it looks like in real life. Titus says more about good works. We're not going to talk about those so much this morning, but good works are actions done in obedience to God for his glory and in conformity to his word and by his power and grace. Good works are works of love for God and love for others that glorify him and serve others. And we see here that we learn these best when we see others modeling them for us. When we're able to look to others who are looking to Jesus and living by faith, 
showing us what it actually looks like to, to be sober-minded or self-controlled. What does it look like to be Christ-like in the ups and downs of real life? We learn Christ-like service and suffering, not only when we look to the example of Christ first and foremost, but also when we look to the living examples he's placed in our lives around us, people who are bearing fruit and doing good works by his spirit, even in the joys and sorrows of life. We can look around and we can learn from these models. And this makes the grace of God in our lives tangible, attainable, if you will. It makes it living and real for us. And so, friends, do you know the importance and the necessity of godly models, mentors, friends, leaders, examples in the faith? Do you have them, uh, living ones around you that you know and you rub shoulders with, or, or heroes that you perhaps read about in church history? Or do you think you don't need them because you're doing pretty well? You've got things figured out, or, or no one's at your level. Titus is not a perfect model. Uh, there were lessons he still had to learn. He uh, himself was still looking to Paul and looking to Jesus. Only Jesus is the perfect model and example for us. But Paul does tell Titus, be a model for them. And all of us can find someone who has something to teach us, to model for us. They may have many weaknesses. They will have many weaknesses, this side of glory. But where has the Lord worked in them where you can learn something from them, where you can see them living by faith in Christ in in an area that could instruct and encourage you and help you live out the grace of God? It's a trite example, but when I learned how to ski, I would, from the chairlift, I would always try to find someone who was just a little bit better than me, and I would watch them, and then on my next run, I would try to copy what they were doing, and in that way, get a little bit better each time, and it made it easier for me to learn. Brothers and sisters, do you have models that you are looking to and watching and learning from? And and a different question is, who are you modeling good works for? Who's watching you and learning from you? Parents, this is part of your job description. Elders, you are called to this. Older siblings, your younger brothers and sisters are watching you. Young people, the little ones are watching you. Are they learning good things from you? Christ-likeness. It's a great opportunity we have to be models for one another and to learn from one another, but it's also a warning. Uh, What are we demonstrating to others? What are we showing others? Well, we need sound teaching. We actually need pictures, godly examples of Christ-likeness. And then we see third and final in our passage this morning that we need faithful authority. We need faithful authority and authorities in our lives. Look again with me at verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul himself 
as an authority, as an apostle, a model to Titus, a mentor to Titus. Uh, He's not just sharing some nice suggestions with him. He's giving clear instructions to Titus, charging Titus as a gospel minister to minister with authority and to not be swayed by those who might not like that and who might disregard him. And so he tells Titus not merely to be an example, not to be merely a teacher, but to also be a spiritual authority, to minister with authority, faithful Christ-like authority. He's to minister with a God-given charge and mandate. And it's not Titus's own authority. It's not that Titus himself possessed something or was special. It's an authority that came from his calling as a gospel minister. It's authority that comes from Christ and from the truth and the gospel that he proclaims on behalf of God. And notice Paul charges Titus not to suggest these things or share some of these good ideas with the Christians on the island of Crete. What does he say? He, he says, Titus, you are to declare these things. You are to speak, to preach them like you mean it, with authority. And this authority, this ministry we see here, it really has a dual purpose. It's both positive and negative. He was to exhort and to rebuke. First of all, he needed to use the authority to exhort. That is, urge the believers to believe and to know and to do things. It's the same word as used in verse 6. Call people to concrete faith and obedience to Christ. Speak the truth, aiming at a response in the hearer, a response of faith and action. Ministers and elders must exhort the flock with authority. And the flock, all of us should expect this. We should expect exhortation with authority. We must also expect the word and the ministry of the word to rebuke at times as well. Faithful ministers to rebuke and to refute with God's word, with authority where necessary. When there's error in life or doctrine. When sin or unbelief or false doctrine is present, we need authoritative rebuke. We need authority who will act for us in love. And the purpose is not to put us down or to shame us, but to correct and protect, to bring godly humility and repentance, to guide us in the truth, to uproot sin and error so that we might be sound in the faith better able to know and serve the Lord, to help us be humble and submitted disciples of Jesus. Now, as sinful beings, we do not often like this. We're naturally autonomous. We like to be a law unto ourselves. We often don't like to be told what to do or what not to do or that we are wrong. And so we can tend to want to disregard this type of authority in our lives and often in the church when there's faithful authority ministered and people don't see it or don't agree with it as the authority of Christ the authority of God's word as loving and necessary and for our good they'll often seek ways to disregard it 
to fight it or, or simply flee from it. And Paul basically tells Titus here, you should expect that. After he calls them to minister with authority, he says, people aren't going to like it. Don't let them disregard you. But he says, don't let them do that. Verse 15, don't let, let no one disregard you. You can't let them disregard this authority because it's not good for them. It's not biblical. And you can't simply let people walk away and disregard faithful God-given authority and truth. Now, this ought to challenge any who are in authority in the church, but also other positions of authority to be faithful and Christ-like in that authority. In the church, to declare and exhort and rebuke only with that which is true and right, only with God's word, but also to not shrink from doing this. This is not easy. It's no fun, but it is necessary. Don't shrink from those who may not like it. This is also a challenge and a call to all of us who are under authority, under the authority of Christ, under the authority of his word, under the authority of the local church. We are not the king and head of the church. Jesus is. And Christ as our king has called us to submit to him and in doing so to submit to those he has called and raised up over us as our authorities. Now we need this and we ought to expect this. We need to expect faithful ministry and authority that will exhort and rebuke us. And when this may come, we should not take it personally. When it's faithfully ministered on behalf of Christ, we need to not think, well, they're just out to get me. They don't like me. No, Christ is out to love me. Christ is out to lead me, to change and sanctify me. Yes, it's painful, and our sinful nature will resist it, but it is good for us. It is God's pattern and truth and guide. And so we need faithful, courageous, convicted authority under Christ to exhort and to rebuke, to love us enough to speak the truth. We may not, we must not disregard it when it is godly and biblical and right. This whole passage, as we consider what Titus is called to, strikes against an independent, unsubmissive spirit that is often present in our hearts. It reminds us that we must all be teachable and humble, accountable, not off on our own as Christians as the church, not just teaching ourselves, but learning from others, uh, learning from faithful models, submitted to godly authority. It also challenges us not to just coast in the Christian life, to think that we've arrived, that we have nothing else to learn or nowhere else to grow. We all have so much to learn, even if we have been in Christ for many, many years. We're all in this together. We need teachers together. We need models. We need authority in our lives. We need to seek out and pray for those who might be faithful teachers and models and authorities. And as we consider all this, <clears throat> I want you to know this morning that seeking these things, seeking teaching and models and authority, seeking these and being humble and teachable, 
is really just a way of seeking Jesus, submitting to him, learning from him, being his disciple. Now, if you're here this morning and you're listening and you are not submitted to Jesus, he is not your savior. You're not seeking him. You're not trusting him. You haven't repented of your sin. Then you don't really need a teacher or an example right now. You need a savior. Your problem is not simply a lack of learning or good examples in your life. It is a lack of faith. It's a lack of a savior. It is your sin. And you need your sin to be forgiven washed away, taken for you by Jesus and nailed to the cross. And so I would urge you to bow your knee to Jesus and put your trust in him and repent of your sin, clinging to him as your Savior, and then seek out godly teachers and examples in the church. But for all of us, as we consider these things this morning, We need to understand that Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate perfect teacher and model. And so even as we look to earthly teachers that he raises up and that he does call for, we need to look to him and learn from him first and foremost. We need to bow to him and realize that he calls you to find faithful earthly teachers who would lead you to him. Jesus is the only Savior and King. He is the only head of the church. He is the great shepherd. But in his plan and in his wisdom, he calls for under-shepherds, leaders, so that we might learn from him, that we might learn sound doctrine and living, so that we might be equipped to do good works for his glory, so that we might be submitted to him. And Brothers and sisters, if you are trusting in Christ this morning, as your Lord, if you are submitted to him, if he is your savior, if you have received him by faith, then you know that he has met your greatest need. He is the grace of God to you. He is your salvation. He is your hope and your life. He gave himself for you to redeem you and purify you, as verse 11 through 14 says. But he's a complete Savior. And he is still loving you. He is not done with you. He's meeting your needs now as his disciples. And one of those needs that he is longing to meet for you is to teach you. To make you like himself. To show you how to serve and honor him. To purify you as his holy people. Zealous for him. Zealous for good works. And he's doing so by raising up godly teachers by by providing faithful teaching, godly examples, faithful authority. And so seek these out and, and know that that's really devotion to Jesus, service to him, seeking of him, submitting to him, learning from him. And so brothers and sisters, as you await his return, As you wait to meet Jesus face to face, seek him. Seek to learn from him and live as his disciples in his body by seeking out sound teaching, godly examples, and faithful authority 
in his church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have just scratched the surface of these things in many ways. And for some, this is, this is not new. But Lord, this is easier to hear than to actually live out. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us a desire to be students. Give us a hunger for sound teaching, for faithful models, and even for the authority that we need as your people for exhortation and at times rebuke. Lord, we pray that you would correct us and instruct us by your word. We pray that you would make us like Jesus Christ, our elder brother and savior. As we wait for our blessed hope, his appearance, the one who gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify us, to make make us his own people zealous for good works. Lord, do these things in us for our good, for our witness, and for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.